The Sixers Beat is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals, with prices up to 60% off. The Sixers have a bunch of crucial home games coming up against some of the NBA's biggest stars, from the defending champion Toronto Raptors to the 14-6 and 6 Denver Nuggets, former Sixer Jimmy Butler and the Heat, and MVP candidates Luka Doncic and the Mavs and Giannis and the Bucks. GameTime can help you get in the building and at a great deal. Right now, I'm looking at the GameTime app for tonight's game against the Cleveland Cavaliers, which takes place just four hours after the time I'm recording this, and ticket prices are still as low as $15. But GameTime doesn't just sell sports tickets. You can also get music and theater tickets as well. Whatever you're looking for, GameTime has you covered, and you'll get panoramic seat view photos to help you make the most informed buying decision possible. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bonner. Joined this week, this episode, by Mike O'Connor, a part of The Athletic podcast network i guess as a real quick reminder since this it will be a public uh, podcast posted to our feed if you can go check us out uh, theathletic.com slash sixers beat you can get 40 percent off a subscription we release two podcasts a week one of them is only available for the athletic subscribers in addition to that you also get access to all of our written content including by this guy the always excellent film breakdowns how you doing mike i'm all right man thank you for having me on it's been a little while um, I feel like Rich and I were starting to sound a little bit like Peanuts characters, where it's just wah 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 wah. Like I feel like if we talk about Ben Simmons not shooting jumpers one more time, I might lose my mind. Rich might lose his mind, and listeners might lose their mind. So I think we'd bring you and you've written a couple of interesting features lately on the Sixers' offense, on where it's lacking, on what you would do to sort of remedy that. So I guess we'll start off there. What are your general thoughts on this team's offense? You know they're up to up to. Uh, it was lower before. They're at 19th in the league right now, according to basketball reference. I That's not where you want them to be. If they're going to be an NBA Finals and a championship contender, that's not where they need to be. And they currently have a six-ranked defense, which heading into that disaster of a, um, of, of a Washington game, they were the top-ranked defense over the last three or so weeks since November 17th, I believe was the stat. So they're moving in the right direction there. The offense is still a work in progress. What's your overall takeaway from basically about the first quarter of the season? Well, I think just in general, the offense has been a disappointment and that just has to start with that Ben and Joel have been a little bit of a disappointment, both of them. But that being said, I think, I think the last um, four or five games, I think they've been a little bit better, maybe stretching back seven or eight games. Um, I don't know exactly what the numbers show, but I would say the biggest thing is just that they've gone away a little bit from like force feeding the post on every single possession, which I just thought was a really stressful and joyless yes. and yes. just painful to watch. Like just really just a bad way to play. Um, but I think they've been better. And I think they've also changed. You know, one thing I, I wrote about a couple of weeks ago was just that they're doing all they were doing all this ridiculous movement off of post ups where it's like two guys are cutting at the same time to the same spot 
while a double team, if, if like one guy didn't cut, he would have been open. And then Ben's in the dunker spot, like lurking there. And it's like, what is all this supposed to be leading to? Um, but I think they've been a lot better lately. They've just sort of been stationary. I noticed, I think it was last week against the Knicks. Uh, they played a lot through Joel and he really handled the double teams well. And it was like so many just swing, 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 open corner three. And it's like, yeah, that's what it looks like when you don't have five guys crashing the lane at the exact same time and you just handle a double team like a normal NBA offense. So I think that's been a lot better lately. And I think you've seen a couple guys sort of find their stride. I think Tobias Harris has been better. Al Horford's knocking down some shots. Simmons has had some good games lately. So, you know, like I said, I think on the whole, on the season, it's obviously a disappointment. You don't want to be 19th. But I think they're sort of trending in the right direction. Yeah, Tobias has been, I think, about 21 points per game on, I think, about 50-40 from the field and from three over his last, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 games or something. Ever since he came out of that 0 for 23, three-point slump. And he's he's been real good. And quite frankly, finishing around the rim, I think, better than certainly I've seen him do. He still doesn't get fouled. He has that finesse game around the rim, which... You know, helps him convert at a decent rate. I'd love to see him seek out some contact. I don't think that's in his game or necessarily in his nature, but he's played very well. Simmons is a little bit up and down. The Washington game is just, I mean, that was just a complete abomination offensively. Uh, Joe's turnover is just screaming at your TV as he tries to break a press dribbling up the court or that spin move with like three minutes left or whenever it was and the Sixers were down five. It was just maddening decisions. You combine that, with Joel's conditioning and Ben's not shooting, and I think that forms the majority of the complaints about this team. I do agree with you. I think they're moving a little bit better off ball. You know, I think, I, I don't know how much of that, s- some of those spacing concerns you're talking about boil down to a lot of new pieces and, and miscommunication and, and maybe players who don't yet have their cuts and their reads down completely and how much was scheme-based. You know, I do think you want to move a little bit more off of Joel than you did last year. Last year, they were pretty much almost completely stationary. It'd be great to have one cutter who could occasionally, I don't know, suck in a defender from the perimeter and make some of those swing-swing passes that you're talking about easier. But I do think they've been moving less, and I think that's helped. But I, th- I think Joel, outside of, again, outside of the, the Washington game, and I don't know how much that Washington game was actually related to double teams and how much was just poor decision-making from Joel. But I, I did think he was handling the double teams better over the last week or two before that. Yeah, I think that Washington game was poor decision-making and just, like, general malaise. Like, it was very... I mean, this has been sort of a storyline throughout the whole season, but I thought this was the most concerning example of just Embiid's sort of, like, demeanor. Um, And I don't want to harp on this too much. Like, I don't want to make this a bigger deal than it is. But when your best player is sort of, like, sulking and playing at three-quarter speed and like not taking the game completely seriously like that's contagious and that's a that's a problem and I think they're at a they should be at a point where this this needs to be addressed like Joel's lack of focus the fact that he never has a smile on anymore when he's playing um, the fact that he doesn't seem to be like cheering on his teammates when they they score or something like that like I think there are a lot of stars in the league who if they were doing this sort of stuff, they would receive a lot of criticism. Like if LeBron were K 
carrying himself like this, I think there would be a lot of criticism. So again, I don't want to make that like a bigger deal than it is. And I wrote about recently, like it is smart for Joel and for the Sixers to not push him a thousand miles an hour in the regular season and just run him into the ground like did it like they did last year. But he has to find that balance where he's playing poise, he's playing under control, and he's being a you know an engaged teammate, uh, and, and yet like he's not running himself into the ground. So, and, and because this this just ties into so many things. Like you talked about the turnovers. Like I don't know what they do. I don't know what they do about the, those those turnovers with Ben and Joel. Like they just have to be more careful with the ball. It's not. I hear some of the criticism with Brett and, and I think, you know, part of it is what we talked about with them, all this movement off the ball post-ups that doesn't help Joel. But I would say the vast majority of those two guys turning the ball over is just like they're spraying it all over the gym or trying like crazy dribble moves or crazy passes. And they just like, it's a focus thing. I mean, like opening possession against the wizards or maybe it was the second possession. So real first minute against the wizards, you know, Ben Simmons is running out in transition, throws a bounce pass to Embiid in traffic, and Embiid plows right into the guy because he has no time to gather himself or anything like that. Like, that's just, a, that's not, there's no scheme here. That's decision. Simmons leaves his feet, has nowhere to go with the ball, and throws it away. And that's not, it's not scheme. Like, so many of these decisions aren't scheme-based that, I I, I mean, I, it, it's, we talk a lot about, it's a lot easier and more intellectually comfortable to blame the coach than it is the players. I think these are two extremely high turnover players who consistently make some risky decisions, which by and large, I'm okay with. Like I I think some of the risky turnovers Ben Simmons makes some of the offensive fouls. If Ben Simmons gets an offensive foul, trying to force something at the rim, I will take that any freaking day of the week uh, compared to the other option of him being passive. But some of the decision-making is just, it's a, a, you need to see growth in your best players. Like you need you, you some of the turnovers and offensive fouls and malaise from Embiid, I think come down to conditioning and being tired and you need your best players to be in shape. Like LeBron James, as great as he is, as talented as he is, he's not LeBron James without an incredible dedication to conditioning and eating and health. And his career doesn't last the way it has and, and progress the way it has without that kind of focus. Does Embiid have it? I, I don't, I'm not sure we've seen that yet. And I think that is, that is one of the more disappointing aspects of this season, but it, it all sort of ties into that too. And I sort of went on a little bit of a tangent, but I like turnovers focus. I, I think that's all there. Yeah. You, you know what I, I feel like right right now, like with everybody and, and I'm sure like the team sort of feels like this watching Embiid. It's like that scene in the end of the first uh, Incredibles movie where um, I can't even remember the kid's name, but he, the, the kid who's like super fast, who's running in a school track meet and he's like, he has like superpowers and he can run past any of them. And they're like, go, 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 go get, get in first place. No, no, second place. Like, take it easy now. Like, like don't, don't go too fast. And then like, that's what I feel like. It's like watching him beat. Like yes. you want him to like push himself so hard so that he's, so that he's like, you know, an MVP candidate and the guy this team needs. But like, you also need to pace yourself so that you're not just like, you're not just running yourself into the ground. Um, so, you know, I, I think like, Again, I don't. I'm not calling for Embiid to be playing 35 minutes a game no. and trying to score 30 a night. I'm just saying that his focus needs to be better. Um, his general attitude, like 
towards everything on the court needs to be better. Like I said, like your star player, your best player needs to be um, the one that's sort of like setting the tone just from like an intangibles standpoint. And I just don't see Joel doing that. I actually think Ben has been very good with that. I think Ben has, um, by all accounts, like he, he just seems like he's having more fun out there. He's like really, really embracing the defensive end. Um, I think he seems to be like a better teammate than anybody would have expected him to be coming out of the draft. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And he's been great. Like he's, he's always hyping guys up. He's always like the first guy, you know, to stand up off the bench and cheer for a made basket. Like, again, I, I, I sound like sort of like a blowhard talking about this stuff, but like it matters. It really does matter. And Ben has been great. And I, I think Joel needs to be a little better. Yeah, I mean, the difference between the seventh best player in the league and the best player in the league often comes down to attention to detail over the course of many, many years, slowly building up into minor improvements sprinkled throughout their game. And we're, for the first time maybe in his career, we're not seeing that for, from Joel. And I think that's causing a lot of panic. Some of it deservedly so. I mean, this is a, this is the guy who probably, if there's one player in the NBA, you say that guy, in order to extend his career and to play at, at his peak level, needs to be in tip-top shape. It's probably Joel Embiid with his size, with how much weight he's carrying around, with his injury or his history of lower body injuries. You need him to take that cardio, take that fitness base, take that diet as seriously as you possibly can. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it would be great to see some progress towards that goal, I guess. All right, let's take a real quick break from the podcast to tell you about DoorDash. Your sweatpants are on for the day, but you're sick of microwave leftovers and frozen pizza. Enter DoorDash, restaurant-quality food with a living room dress code. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city, and ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. With door-to-door delivery in all 50 states and Canada, order from your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and the Cheesecake Factory. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code SIXERS. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code SIXERS. Don't forget, that's promo code SIXERS for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. And now back to the show. Let's move off of the two stars. And because Joel is out, we're recording this podcast almost right before the game against the Cavs, which is just genius timing. We're, we're real good at that. Um, but Joel will miss tonight's game because of a hip contusion which I'm all for. Whenever you have back-to-backs and three games and four nights, give me as many hip contusions as you can. He had played in two consecutive strings of three games in four nights. So having this one off, we'll see what happens tomorrow against the Raptors. But having a rest day, I think, is good for Joel. It is good that they're limiting, limiting him to 30 minutes per night. I would like to see not too many more off nights, but an occasional off night sprinkled in. So let's focus a little bit on how the offense looks when Joel is off the floor, you know, you have Al Horford who has struggled very mightily with Embiid on the floor. Let me, uh, he's shooting. I don't have stats right in front of me. Great segment. Good job, Derek. Um, but you have really what is a completely different offensive system, I think, when Embiid heads to the bench and Horford comes to the five. And we all expected that, but I think we sort of expected them to maybe rest or preserve Horford a little bit more. And and not play him at the five, maybe quite as much as they were. So I think we we thought we'd see some Kylo Quinn from time to time 
at that spot. But it's largely been, you know, that first sub has been two wings, James Ennis and one of Furkan Korkmaz or Matisse Thibel or whoever's healthy, which frankly, it hasn't been the case for a long time. So one of those two have started a lot. But you've seen those two come in and then Horford slide the five. So what have you seen from that pairing? What have you seen from maybe that Horford-Simmons-focused offensive unit that that you think has unlocked something? Well, the the lineup data on uh, when Horford plays center and uh, and Ben is on the floor with them is really good. I forget what the offensive rating is, but it's, it's very, very good. Um, Cle- cleaning, some of it... cleaning the glass has... So this is lineups with Horford and Simmons on the court, but no Joel Embiid, which doesn't explicitly mean Horford at center. I guess, I think there was one lineup where Kylo Quinn was in there alongside Horford, but it would be minuscule. Like we're talking 589 possessions. There might be 10 of them that have another center on the court. Uh, they had a 118.7 offensive rating, which is in the 98th percentile. Yeah, I think some of that was, I think those lineups are shooting like 44% from three. So that'll come down a little bit. Yep. But I, I but still think. They're also, they only turn the ball over on 14% of their possessions, 13.9, which is actually a well above average mark, which you don't see many of those with this team. Yeah, that's that's the interesting one. That's that's interesting. I mean, obviously, like, Joel turns the ball over a lot, and when he's not on the floor, like, you'll turn the ball over less. Um, but it's also that... That actually, by the way, was not true in previous years. Really? The oh, Sixers yeah, I guess... tended to turn the ball over more when Embiid was off the court because everybody tried to do a little more than they were actually capable of. I don't know what it looks like. Um, that was more with the covington Charge lineups. Right. Like, I, th- I think I ran these numbers two years ago, actually. So that maybe with Jimmy Butler, that wasn't the case. But at times, the team would turn the ball over more when Embiid went to the bench because they just they tried to play outside of their comfort zone. Sixer right. stats, Horford and Embiid, yeah, they're shooting 44% from three, which is most certainly going to come down a couple of ticks. Yeah, but I still think those those lineups are really great, and I think they've helped Ben a lot. Um, I think like one of the things that I pointed out over the summer, and I'm sure a lot of people did, was just that having Horford as the trailer in transition helps Ben so much because teams can't just form that wall on the free throw line and just stop him. Like, like Ben can dribble into basically dribble into a pick for Horford and pitch it to him and have an open trailer three whenever he wants. So I think that pairing is just like perfect offensively. Um, you couldn't ask for a better, uh, a better center for Ben just to, to work with in transition and the half court. Um, and, you know, I, I think like it's, it's hard to know ever like how much credit to give to Ben for that stuff, because obviously they're not going to play through him a ton in the half court. Um, I, th- I think a lot of like what I've seen, I think Tobias Harris has benefited a lot when he plays uh, with, with, with Horford at center. So like, I, I just see a lot of Tobias is able to get in the post without knowing a double team is going to come. And Tobias is able to run a pick and roll or pick and pop and know that he is just, a ton of space to work with. Um, so I think it's, it's benefited both those guys, but honestly more so Harris. So Tob- Tobias Harris in those lineups shooting 54.7% from the floor, 46.3% from three on eight attempts per 100 possessions, averaging 33.7 points per 100 possessions. And in, in the, basically a starting lineup with Simmons and Embiid both on the court, Harris is shooting 
44% from the field, 29% from three, and 22 points per 100 possessions. So more efficient, and also throwing in there about 12 more points per 100 possessions. He has certainly upped his usage and upped his efficiency with uh, without the five. Yep. Yeah, and, and just to, like, talk about Tobias even more, just in particular, like, I, I think this season has been... I don't think he's improved a ton, but I think I've seen some some marginal improvement just in terms of what he can do with the ball. I think his finishing has been great. I think uh, I still wish that he would take more threes, but it just doesn't look like that's going to happen. Um, but I think like there's a lot of a lot of sort of like hand wringing among Sixers fans. Like Tobias just can't quite be what Jimmy Butler was, especially at the end of games where it's like you clear out and you let him go to work. And that's fair. I don't think that Tobias is that or that he'll be that. But I just think he's doing a lot of things really well right now. He's shooting the hell out of the ball from mid-range. And, you know, if anything, he's shooting 30% from three right now. That's going to go up. And, you know, I, I just I just would say in general, I think he's played very well. And you also have to give him a lot of credit for his defense. Um, but I think, like, I, my my advice is just don't get caught up in what Tobias Harris can't do. Um, yes, he's not a top 12 player who you clear out and you just let him go to work at the end of games. But he's a very, very good second or third option, and he's having a very good year, and I think it's only going to get better. Yeah, I mean, I if I drone on about Tobias' contract, it always a lot of times comes down, well, besides the luxury tax and repeater tax and the uncertainty with Joshua Harris and and some of the restrictions that come in with being above the apron, which they would have been above regardless of how much you gave Tobias. Like if you could have given him 160 million to 180 million, you still would have been fighting that fight. But it all comes down to you know trade value and and how that's viewed on the market. You know I think the Sixers there's a uh, there, we have to be realistic. There's a chance that this these five don't work out to a championship level core, and I think we'd all agree. You know, I think when Jimmy Butler left, a lot of people went, well, this is the team believing in in Ben Simmons, and he's got to step up and be sort of that second star, that second half court star. And I just never saw his game like that. Like, I think that's why, you know, we all, you and I both, Rich as well, will admit it, supported going after Markel Fultz at the time. Like, I think we always wanted that sort of creator to pair next to him. And I don't think Tobias is naturally that like when we talk about late game offense a lot of that is setting up for your teammates like it's pretty easy to take the ball out of Tobias's hands because you can send a double his way the pass doesn't come out as crisp or on time or as creative to really punish that double team and you can sort of just take the ball out of his hands late in game sometimes where a guy like Jimmy Butler or like what you hoped Markel would be someone of that archetype wouldn't be able to do that so you know I think they're going to need to uh, I think there's a very real chance they're going to need to try to find somebody of that mold to pair alongside Embiid. And if you have to trade, then it gets tougher to do that with a, with an overpay like Harris is, but he's, I mean, he's, he's like you said, as a, a third option type, he's been, he's been really good. They're just probably missing that second half yeah. court option. Uh, the, the way I would put it is like if Harris or Richardson or Simmons, if any of them were like 10% better, yeah. This team would make like perfect sense. Yep. Like if Simmons were a guy who could shoot corner threes or if Harris was like 
one step above as a creator and you could just clear out and like get him a like let him get a bucket or if Richardson were like a true like second option then I think like if any of those things were true I think this team would make perfect sense and I'm not saying yeah, they I, don't make any sense but I think if, if you're building a, a a real title then look Sixers are a very good team I expect them to win 55 plus games I do think they're a step below I mean quite frankly right now the Bucks the two LA teams um, we'll see what else sort of shakes out. Those are the three teams I have the most confidence in. So I think they, could could they win a championship? Sure. Do I make them one of the favorites? No, right now I don't. If we're talking about this team, the Simmons and B core being a an elite championship team, a dynasty, I do think the end result is a real legitimate one A shot creator on the perimeter, and Simmons developing a corner three. Like I think that's how it ultimately ends up looking. How do they get there? Can they get there? I don't know but I think that is the peak version of this team. I would agree. I would agree. And, and, and yet I still, I still think they have a very real chance of getting to the finals. I think they have a, a, a chance, maybe not a great chance of winning the finals. Um, like I, I think they'll be able to turn a series with Milwaukee just into a complete slog. And they have three guys who, I mean, we'll see what the Ben matchup looks like, but they have three guys I think who can, like guard Giannis and that's a lot more than most teams have. Yes. Uh, so I think they're going to be able to muddy up that series and just turn it into a rock fight and see what happens. So, you know, I, I would just, this, this has been probably like the most excruciating 15 and seven start, like any team has ever had. <laughs> like yeah. it's unbelievable. Like, and, and some of it is just 2019 and the internet, like the six. It's win. also their strength. Of, strength of schedule has been dog shit. That's true. That's true. But it's also true. Like they could, they could win like five in a row, and then like on on the sixth game they lose. Like, oh, we all freak on, out. Of course, everybody yep. on Twitter will be trading Ben Simmons. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. So you know, I just think you can't get caught up in all that. And this is going to be a very good team who plays some hideous basketball and is going to have some really ugly games, like the one in Washington. You know, and uh, but they're still they're still a team that has a real chance of making the finals and you just got to hang on for dear life and embrace the ugliness. Look, I, when the season started, I think I gave them a 51% chance against the bucks in the Eastern conference finals. I, w- I would drop that right now, but I drop it to maybe like 30, 35% chance. Like I would make Milwaukee the favorite, but it's like a, you get a one in three chance of something that not an impossible task. So they are certainly in the mix but their play has has not quite felt like that of a title contender so far. Um, and I look, I expect this defense to be, if not at the top, towards the top. I think that is a very legitimate aspect to this team. All right, let's pause for one more quick break. This one to hear from DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is officially available in Pennsylvania. As a trusted leader in daily fantasy, DraftKings has brought their expertise to legal sports betting and is already America's top-rated sportsbook app. With so much going on this week, you'll definitely want to take advantage of the convenience to bet wherever, whenever, with the DraftKings Sportsbook app. This week, DraftKings has a pro basketball promo you won't want to miss. It's simple. Bet on Philly to win. If they score 76 points first and end up losing, get your bet back up to $25. Plus, DraftKings is based right here in the U.S., not offshore, so you know your funds are safe and secure. And if you're already betting in PA, bet with another book and take advantage of DraftKings' great sign-up offer. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use code TOSS when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a free bet just for signing up. 
Plus, when you make your first bet, you can get a risk-free bet up to $500. Don't forget, sign up with code TOSS to place your first bet, and you can get a risk-free bet up to $500. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Pennsylvania only. Restrictions apply. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And now back to the show. So the, the wing rotation. Lately, Furkan Korkmaz has been starting. It seems like Brett Brown likes Matisse sort of in that comfortable off-the-bench role, whereas earlier in the season he was in that starting lineup. James Ennis has been very consistent in his role and in his effectiveness. How have you sort of seen those three play? What, do you, what are you looking for them from the, uh, for the rest of the season? First off, like Ennis has just been great. I, I really have grown to appreciate Ennis's game in a way that I did not expect to. He, everything like looks difficult for him. Like every movement, every possession just looks like he's kind of moving through mud, but he's just very effective. He is. And the offensive rebounding thing is a real thing. He's unbelievable at it. Uh, he's shooting the ball extremely well. I mean, he's just a very playable guy. And I think he's someone who, you know, with how weird this starting lineup is, like pretty much anybody that is missing a game, whether it's Simmons or uh, Embiid or Horford, I think Ennis should be the guy to take their place in the starting lineup. Um, I think he's just right now, he's just the best bench player. Um, I will say like Matisse has really come on strong over the past uh, several games he absolutely dominated that game against the Kings. Um, I, I think like whenever Matisse plays, it's like one of two things happen. It's like either he looks like he should not be on the floor and you can't even afford to have him out there or he's just dominating the game. And it's like you, you can't afford to take him off the floor. He's just locking guys up and swatting balls away from absolutely nowhere. And he's drilling threes. I, I, I thought like, one of the more like happy medium games he had was against Washington the other night where he just made a lot of fundamentally sound plays, didn't make many mistakes and sort of took Bertans out of the game in that second half, which was, which was really great. Um, you know, who knows the challenge, <laughs> all the, Matisse... the damage he did in the second quarter was more than enough. Um, yes. You know what? I thought the most impressive play he made, maybe the most impressive play he's made all season. He took a steal, dribbled the ball, 85 feet and kicked out to, for a corner three in transition. Mm. He didn't turn the ball over. And the <laughs> fact that he even attempted that play was nice to see. Ball handling was not his strength, but he looked like he was, he is getting a lot more comfortable on the court. Yeah, exactly. I mean, blew he... my mind. I did not expect that to happen. I expect crazy, you know, blocks from behind. I expect him to go for steals that <laughs> most people in the NBA wouldn't even dream of attempting. I do not expect him to dribble the ball 85 feet and dish it off competently and confidently. No, no, I, I'm, I'm with you. He just gets sped up so easily. Like, when when he can, like, beat a closeout and the defense is shifting, trying to block his path, like, he just gets sped up and he's probably going to throw a reverse layup off the bottom of the rim. And uh, it, it, him being able to play under control and know where the help is coming from and where his outlets are like that's really important for him moving forward but yeah I mean I think things are just trending well for him and for the Sixers to have at least two guys in Ennis and Thibel who you know are 
very solid wings off the bench. I think that's a huge thing for a team to have. How do you go about, do you change Mike Scott's role in the rotation? Do you, how do you go about getting him out of this slump or you just let him play his normal role? I think you have to let him play. I think maybe bring his minutes down a little bit uh, to maybe like 15 a game or something like that. I actually would, I actually would like to see them play like Burke or Neto with Simmons more and maybe that could come at the cost of some Scott minutes. But I think you just have to ride him out. And, you know, he's always been a streaky shooter. He's always like, it always feels like he's either five for six from three or oh for seven, uh, one of the two. So, you know, you, you guys like that, you just have to ride them out. Um, I do wonder, like, it feels like blasphemous to say this, but like, if he really continues to struggle for like, say, the next two months, like, did they try and flip him in a pick for Bertans or someone like that? Because he's really the only guy you can trade for uh, anyone of any value, pretty much, because of the Sixers contract situation. He's the only player making between three and 27 million besides Richardson and Simmons. So I don't know. I just, I think that's a possibility. I was looking at like Washington's roster and I just thought like, hmm, Mike Scott for Davis Bertans and Isaiah Thomas would, would be interesting. Yeah. And there might be a little bit of um, recency bias in this. He did just torch the Sixers for yes. what he ended up with 25 <laughs> or 27. 25. He is a better shooter than Mike Scott and it's not even close. And you really need that skill set. He's you know, the only know. guy in the league over six eight who can just like fly around screens. Yep. Yep. Like a red like legitimately like not not like Reddick, but like very close to like Reddick. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know how he does it. It is tough watching Mike struggle shooting thirty nine percent from the field, thirty two percent from three, really bad of late, and just doesn't bring quite enough to the table to overcome those struggles. But I mean I'm with you. You sort of have to ride uh, ride that one out. Do you have any preference in the Burke-Netto quiet battle? My preference is option C, none of the above, honestly. <laughs> well, they tried that at the beginning of the season. It was, uh, it was Josh Richardson. Yeah, yeah. I, I just mean I think that's a spot they have to make a trade because you just need that guy off the bench if you're this team. Like, you need Trey Burke, but much better than Trey Burke to come in and be like, oh, we're having trouble scoring. Uh, this is going to be a, a, a Lou Williams game. It's never gonna, You're not going to get Lou Williams. But, like, this is going to be a, this guy game. Like, you bring this guy off the bench and he, uh, he gives you a spark. Like, watching that Washington game, one of the things that was just sort of apparent was, like, this Sixers team is not a team that can mount, like, a significant run. And that's the problem is that, like, when your defense isn't clicking on all cylinders and like Washington has like a crazy shooting half, it's like, how do you climb back in the game? You're, you're not going to do it with like a 12 0 run. This team just like doesn't have that. They don't have the guys for that. And I think that's where, that's where I'm sort of, um, calling for like a trade acquisition for a guy that can sort of unlock that people that can score in bunches. Like this team has a very, methodical, oversized, sort of boring offense. And I think they just need to have a different gear. And I don't think Neto provides that. I don't think 
Burke provides that. In theory, he does, but he's not good enough. And I just think they're like, like the Bertans and Isaiah Thomas trade I mentioned, like, I think that type of stuff would, would give them like another gear where when they're really struggling on offense, you just, you just go for that. Trey Burke is currently shooting 33% on shots inside of the arc, which is, which is not going to get it done. I think that was part of the concern when you brought him in there. Yeah, he played real great for the Knicks, played okay for, for, for Dallas. But when he had to play a more reserved role, when he didn't have quite as much freedom, would he be able to take those good shots and would he be able to stay within the flow? I Just watching him, you know, his defense is what it is. It's It's really bad. His shots are what they are in terms of, like, they're not efficient shots for a reason. So if you struggle on them, you can end up looking real bad. You know, but I think he's more or less gotten to the same shots he's been getting to in the previous few years. They're not going in. And when they're not going in, it's going to be tough for him to to stay afloat. Of those two options, I prefer Neto. But the team is so short on shot creation. That upgrading from that spot, I would I would certainly understand. Um, I don't think... I don't know. Well, we'll see how they target it. Uh, but it is... I mean, they're, they're so limited in what they can do in their trade assets and their salary matching. Like you brought up with Bertans, it will be, it will be tough. All right. I think that's probably, you know, we've got a lot coming up here. We have the Cavs later tonight, the Nuggets, or I'm sorry, the Raptors, then the Nuggets at the Wells Fargo Center. Then they travel up to Boston, Pelicans, Nets, Heat, Mavs, a lot coming up. Some really good teams, of course, culminating in the Bucks on Christmas Day. So we will have a lot to talk about. We will learn a lot about this team. Thank you, Mike, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. Of course. Thanks for having me.